Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Marco Santarelli. You know, Will Rogers once said, don't wait to buy real estate, buy real estate and wait. You know, there's a lot of truth to that because all markets, both economic and real estate, cycle up and down over time. When the housing market crashed back in 2008, it led to one of the worst economic periods since the Great Depression, and we often refer to this period as the Great Recession. The economy has not just recovered from that period, but today it has steadily grown each and every year since that crash. And over the last decade or so, after the Great Recession, unemployment is now at its lowest in the last 50 years, according to government statistics. Wages are rising at a faster rate, and consumers continue to spend more and more, which all fuels the economy as a whole. So paying attention to housing market trends can serve you well as a real estate investor. And that's what we're going to learn more about today with my great guest, Darren Bloomquist. As landlords, we tend to be most concerned with getting paid on time. You might also know that thousands of landlords have to deal with the headache of evicting tenants each year. Evicting a tenant can be painful, costing as much as $10,000 in court costs and legal fees and take as long as four weeks to complete. What if there was a trusted way to help prevent the headache of dealing with evicting a tenant? Make the smart move right from the start. Smart Moves online tenant screening solution can help you quickly understand if you're getting a reliable tenant, which can help you avoid potential problems such as non-payment and evictions. Now, for a limited time, listeners of this podcast are invited to try Smart Move tenant screening for 25% off. Here's how Smart Move can help you find your next great tenant. First, make a more informed decision with Smart Move's proprietary credit score, built specifically for tenant screening which predicts evictions 15% better than a typical credit score. Second, reduce non-payment risk with Smart Move's Income Insights Report, which enables you to analyze the applicant's income within minutes and determine if additional income verification is needed. And third, get critical information quickly with a full credit report and criminal background and eviction history report. With over 5 million screenings completed, Smart Move can help you make a better leasing decision for your rental properties. If you own a rental property, SmartMove can help you identify the right renter from the start so you can avoid the problems of non-payment and evictions. Don't put yourself at risk. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, and enter code NORADA25, N-O-R-A-D-A-25 at checkout for 25% off your next screening. With TransUnion SmartMove, you'll get great reports, great convenience, and great tenants. All right, it's my pleasure to welcome Darren Bloomquist to the show. Darren is the new vice president and market economist at auction.com, the nation's largest online real estate transaction marketplace focused on the sale of bank-owned and foreclosure properties. Now, recently, Darren served as the vice president at Adam Data Solutions, where he was widely recognized as an authority in the housing and mortgage industries. Today at auction.com, he is focused on analyzing and forecasting complex economic trends within the marketplace and within the industry. And what I love about Darren is he loves data and he's a super smart guy. So Darren, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Marco. It's great to be here. Well, I'm glad you're on the show. I've been actually wanting to get you on for a couple years, and that's just my uh, my fault for not getting you on sooner because I remember following you when you were back at Adam. Um, and just all the articles and data that you pulled and and 
you just put out so much great content. I thought it would be brilliant for our audience to listen to and learn more about. But here we are today. So we have you on the show. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background, Darren. Sure. Um, I've been here six months at auction.com, approximately a little bit more, and uh, came from Adam Data Solutions, where I spent 17 years, believe it or not, a previous, uh, it went through several iterations prior to being named Adam Data Solutions. It was Realty Track, which folks may be familiar with. Really, I've been a part of an exciting ride getting to see the evolution of what I would call the marketplace for real estate investors. And Realty Track was a first form of that with putting foreclosure properties out there publicly that, that used to be very kind of hidden for folks. And that was one step in the direction of kind of democratizing, I, I would say, real estate investing. And we've seen that since the last housing crash and then this last recovery, I think one of the big storylines has been how real estate investors have helped the market recover, I think, and stepped in, enabled by technology and tools and data that have helped um, democratize the process and allow someone in you know, California, where I live, to be buying properties in Alabama or wherever. And those investors stepping in in different formats um, has really created a floor for the housing market after the recover after the the bust, and has helped rebalance the marketplace from one that is was way too homeownership driven to one that's a little more balanced, where we realize not everybody needs to be a homeowner. Uh, so I'm getting all philosophical on you, but that's been my journey, kind of seeing the. Uh, that's one way of looking at my journey, a career journey, is is being able to. Uh, see it through the eyes of of uh, democratizing data and technology for real estate investors. Adam was one of the largest data aggregators in the country, wasn't it? Yeah, and it still is. It's still out there. Um, I, it didn't fall apart when I left, <laughs> thankfully. <it's>, uh, <laughs> as much as, you know, maybe that wouldn't boost my ego, but the, uh, we're doing, still doing a great job. And I actually use a lot of their data still here at auction.com. And it's a, that public record data that really gives you a view into um, the market and, and foreclosure data as well. Um, and then here at auction.com, it's been fun because I get to pair that with real, uh, a little bit more uh, what I describe as transactional data and even behavioral data, I guess, for lack of a better word, but you know maybe that's what an economist would call it. Um, how buyers on our platform and sellers, both sides are behaving. You know, we have this marketplace connecting buyers and sellers in real time. It's, it's, uh, you know, you could argue it's um, this very compressed and often, oftentimes, especially at the foreclosure auction in person, where the, the property sells in a matter of minutes. Um, you know, we see that buyer uh, and seller behavior very quickly in our data, and we're captured. We're digitizing that process, capturing a lot of that. So you see the actual sale of the property, but you see what people were bidding. Even if it doesn't sell, you see how high did the bidding get? How, what was the interest in that property? And then you also see on the seller side, the reserves, you know, here's what they were willing to take on the home. Um, the minimum they were low, and then sometimes they lower the reserve. So, okay, well, that we were just kidding. That was, uh, <laughs> we'd rather get rid of this property now for this price than, um, than take it back on our book. So that sort of thing really starting to dig into and understand the distressed marketplace um, with that data. That's interesting because you now get to see the market and, and you get to see market trends through this lens of 
of the distressed housing market. And in my opinion, that's a unique perspective when analyzing housing trends. So some people listening to this may think, well, um, you know, why are foreclosures and distressed properties important to me as a real estate investor? What would you tell those people? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question that I that's different now that I'm auction.com than I would have answered at Adam. At Adam, I would have said, you know, dis- the distress market for investors is it's all about supply. It's one channel of supply for you as a real estate investor. Um, and that supply, you know, the main storyline for the last seven years has been that supply is drying up less and less of that foreclosure supply, which is why investors are having to go other places to buy properties. Um, and certainly, yeah, there are other channels besides foreclosures that, but that has been a longstanding tried and true channel for buying discounted properties because you have this motivated seller. Anyway, I would answer a little bit differently now in a couple of ways. One is that it's just a, it's a good barometer of the health of the market. It's a double-edged sword for investors. Foreclosures being up means more supply, but it also probably means if we see a spike in foreclosures at some point, that probably means the market is correcting or has some kind of trouble signal that uh, could be bad for appreciation, for demand, for homes, for um, now it actually might be good for rentals. Um, But anyway, so there's that element of it. And then the last element, of the distressed market that I think is important is actually looking at it, and I've been doing this more at auction.com, looking at as a leading indicator, especially with what investors are doing at the auction, Um, the auctions that we track really, I think is a leading indicator, not a lagging indicator as distress is typically thought of, but it's um, a leading indicator of the marketplace because investors, a lot of our investors, about half and half, uh, half are flippers. So they're buying a property auction and they're trying to predict what the market's going to look like in six months. So what they're doing now is predicted, you know, to the extent that they're correct. And I think if you take them collectively, um, they tend to be correct predicting the market. You know, what they're doing now is predicting what the market's going to look like in six months, six to 12 months. So that's a great leading indicator um, of, of the marketplace that we've been, um, that I've been looking at more and more. I can go into this, I could talk about that. I just looking at data. We have these super Tuesday auctions in Texas and Georgia. Some of your, uh, your listeners may be um, familiar with those, but those I was just looking at views on our mobile app are highly correlated on those super Tuesdays, very highly correlated to existing home sales of the overall housing market. Uh, so, if investors are confident and are going on our app and viewing more of those Super Tuesday auctions that happen once a month, uh, we often see an uptick. When there's an, a bigger uptick in those that interest by investors, we also then later in the month see an uptick in home sales. And it's, uh, it's very interesting to look at. You made the comment that foreclosure activity is a leading indicator. And actually, one of my questions that I wanted to ask you was, um, in your opinion, is foreclosure activity a leading or lagging indicator of overall housing market trends? But as I'm, it's thinking, a lagging. Yeah, it's Sorry. you're saying it's lagging. It's lagging, but I think what the leading part of the distress market is is the the buyer side. So that what the buyers are doing uh, and how high they're willing to bid on foreclosure properties and how many foreclosure properties they snatch up that is more of a leading indicator of the market going forward. 
this is what I was just thinking, is that it could be both. Could it not be a leading and lagging indicator? Because if you have foreclosures, that means something happened before that to create that increased supply of foreclosure inventory. But on the flip side, if you have a lot more foreclosure activity in the pipeline coming out, you're going to eventually increase the supply in the local markets, particularly in states like California, which are notice of default states as opposed to judicial auction states. So could that not also be a lagging as well as a leading indicator? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, because especially with the data we're getting, and even at Adam, you could see it with the pre-foreclosure data. Before the foreclosure has actually happened, there's usually several months before that that we know that this property is in trouble. And it's lagging in the sense that by the time we know that property is in trouble, that person has been in trouble probably for at least 120 days delinquent. So there's a there's a lagging element to it, but it is leading in the sense that, well, yeah, if we see this way, this inflow rising, eventually that is going to impact sales down the road, more distressed sales down the road. Um, and so for people who are closely watching it, yes, I think we'll have a head start if, if you see a spike on the front end in the uh, inflow for notices of default, for instance, that might be a signal. And I, I know people like um, Bruce Norris in California did this. That's what they looked at and they're still looking at. Um, but it helped them get ahead of the last crash is when they saw that spike in pre-foreclosure notices um, as an investor, maybe that's time to um, do it. Yeah, exit, do whatever you need to do to go on the defensive as opposed to the offensive. Yeah, I've got to ask Bruce about that. I'm going to have him on here in a few weeks. So I, uh, I'm, I'm going to pull that out of him a little bit. He doesn't see those as much because, and it's this is true, the banks have gotten better at helping people avoid foreclosure because of the mess we went through. But there's a, and so there's a whole thing where that may not be as much of a strong indicator as it used to be, but I still think it's, if we saw a big jump in notices of default, all of a sudden, like we did last time, that would be a, a big sign that, you know, and usually that notice from notice of default to foreclosure, if everything goes smoothly, it takes maybe 90, another 90 to 120 days, probably more realistically like six months. So you have, as an investor, you see that spike, you say, okay, I have six months to exit, you know, move my stuff around. Yeah, that's important to consider, especially if you're in an expensive state. So that really begs my next question for you is where are you seeing foreclosure activity increase or decrease in a more broad sense, like, you know, regionally, not necessarily, you know, city by city, but where, where do you see increases and decreases in foreclosure activity today? Yeah. And I would say, the, the big story is that foreclosures are continuing to decrease. Uh, foreclosure starts are, are continuing to go down nationwide. You know, we're basically down year to date. If you look at the Adam data, notices of default foreclosure starts, um, those are down about 8% year over year. Uh, and they just came out with a report yesterday on that, actually. So that's continuing to go down. But you are seeing in both in this I looked at both the Adam data on the foreclosure starts and then our own auction data are in what we call inflow when the banks basically assign properties to us that are in foreclosure. And if you look at the, and I have a heat map on our, on our, in our newsroom where you can go and look at this, but it's fairly startling to me. It's fairly clear that the increases we're seeing actually tend to be in the West and South. Now that is skewed by Florida and Texas which maybe is surprised to people. Oh, why, why are those? 
uh, increasing. But Florida, for instance, in April, foreclosure starts, according to Adam, we're up 34%. Texas was only up 1%. Um, but those two were influenced by the aftermath of the hurricanes, and oh. we're still seeing increases there. But then you do see places um, like even Colorado, Nevada, Arizona with increases, both in our data and Adam data. Um, now, they're coming off of very low levels, but I think we're finding a bottom, basically, is what I would say. We're close, to, not nationwide, but in some of those markets that, that are actually ahead of the curve in this housing recovery are finding a bottom in foreclosures, and they're starting to tick back up a little bit. In, in some of those areas. And then, of course, that's exacerbated a bit in uh, Texas and Florida. You look at some of the like Houston numbers and some other markets in Florida, you see these pretty strong double-digit increases in foreclosure starts. Um, that's more of a short, short-term, short I guess, opportunity, you might call it, for investors to go in and find those distressed properties triggered by the natural disaster events there. I've always wondered if there's a, an actual correlation between foreclosure activity whether it's increasing or decreasing, and local market median price and affordability. Is there a correlation or connection between those two? Uh, I haven't seen, I've, I've run a bunch of correlations with our uh, you know, auction data, distress data, overall market data. That's one of the things I spend almost every day doing, but I haven't seen a strong correlation there. So you're asking between, I would just to make sure I'm understanding between foreclosure activity and home prices. Yeah. So if, if you if yeah. you're looking at a local market and there's an increase in foreclosure activity, you have a lot you have a lot of uh, you have an increase in the foreclosure activity, and and ultimately as a consequence of that, you have more foreclosure product coming on the market. Do you see that affecting the median price of the housing stock in that local market? I'm just wondering if there's a connection or if that makes any difference to there, pricing. Yeah. There certainly was. I mean, once it becomes, there's a tipping point, and we saw that there's no doubt that that happened during the crisis because foreclosures became in many markets like over half of the market were, were distressed. And when that happens, oh, yeah, for sure they're going to tip the scales. And then, of course, there are the other, for, other forces. It's, it's tougher when, you know, right now foreclosure sales are in most areas are less than 5% of the market, which actually, you know, might seem like a, a fair amount, but it's still not enough to, to usually move the needle too much. Um, but I think we do see, I haven't run the exact correlations on this, but the, this gets a little bit more nuanced, but the rate of home price appreciation starts slowing. Mm. Uh, I think there is a connection there. And, and that's something we've seen in the West some of the Western markets, coastal California is a classic example, is you start to see some of this, these slight increases in foreclosure activity. Again, nothing earth shattering, but at least they're going up, you know, they're going up and they're not going down as they have been for the last seven years. And then you see slow home prices are still going up in a lot of markets, although there we there are some exceptions we can talk about, but you at least start to see the slowing home price appreciation. And I think those two in tandem, probably there is a connection there um, that you have. And I think in, at least in this market, the connection is affordability, which is affordability is causing, creating a situation where there's fewer people who can afford a home, which is putting less pressure, upward pressure on home prices. And it's also caused 
is causing a, some more problems for people who've already bought a home and really maybe can't couldn't afford it or are stretching themselves financially and right. so there's a few more of those getting into trouble yeah. you you made a quick reference to the last recession and it made me think you know i often get asked by investors about upcoming recessions and the impact that it could have on the housing and therefore that investor's decision on whether to invest now or just wait things out. So first off, I mean, this is a matter of opinion here, but do you see a recession on the horizon? Yeah, that's, uh, I get asked that a lot too. And, you know, <laughs> I don't know, but I, my best guess is that we will see a recession um, somewhere in in the next uh, couple of years. I mean, that's kind of an economist cop-out, <laughs> but it's, I, it's just hard. Um, you know, there, there's some sig technical signals for recession coming that we've seen with the inverted yield curve. Uh, and then just the, honestly, the, the length of this recovery tells us that, that traditionally you, you have the, the way the cycles, economic cycles work is that you would expect some kind of recession um, or pullback after such a lengthy recovery. Although it has been a, a, a bunch, a very, in many ways, you know, very uh, slow plotting recovery. Uh, and so that actually bodes well for the recession being a more mild recession and not a, a huge event. Last I heard, we've been in the second longest recovery in U.S. history. I don't know if we're still in the second or if we're now the first, but we're up there. Yeah, I think we got into the first. I, <laughs> I should know that. But um, the yeah, we're either close to or at the first you know, wow. in terms of longest recovery, which is great news. But it also just tells you that based on his history, there is going to be a recession. Now, I do think in terms of housing, it's just hard to envision that there would be as big of an impact as, on housing as the Great Recession. And if you look at back at the five to seven recessions prior to the Great Recession, in some recessions, they didn't go down at all. There, uh, But the typical, there's typically like a one to 5% drop in prices during a recession. Oh, wow. That's pretty small. Um, yeah. It's not, you know, it's, it's more of a correction, not a... Uh, a crash like we saw during the Great Recession. So that would be the more of the scenario I would anticipate. It could be that mild recession uh, if there was some other shock outside of just kind of the normal economic cycles. Yeah. Um, then it could cause it to be more severe. But uh, most likely scenario I see is more of a mild recession in the next couple of years that does cause some a correction in housing. But um, uh, not an extreme event. And I would say, uh, you know, one option is to try to wait and try to time that. It's a little tougher and it might be more successful in a, a more dynamic market that does tend to go up and down more in terms of home prices, sure. somewhere like California. But in a more slow and steady markets, a lot of places I think where your listeners are buying rental properties, there's probably less chance, although there's a few exceptions where you'd see a, a big advantage in waiting. You know, nothing that we talk about on the show is meant to be investment advice. You know, it's just information and data and that kind of stuff. Um, but investors think about, you know, you're looking at data all the time. You're analyzing trends and you're looking at housing markets. And investors ask themselves the questions like, when's the next recession? And how will that impact me? And should I wait or should I invest now? And um, 
the, the question about a recession is, is, is not a question of if we're going to have one. It's a question of when we're going to have one. Um, but those numbers you just gave are interesting. If, if corrections are only about 1% to 5% in terms of the effect on, on local market prices, then I would think the question of whether to wait or invest now should be simple. And that is just you know keep doing what you're doing. Look for the best deals in the best markets and, and continue, continue to invest. Because I was going to ask you the question, and you're welcome to answer it. You know, if you think a recession should affect an investor's decision to invest at all, you know, I just gave you what I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, do you have an opinion or comment on that? Um, I would say, yeah, I mean, my opinion would be probably not. I mean, that's it's something they should be aware of and right. and keep their head up and eyes open and it may tweak what they're doing but in most cases especially for the again you know getting back to those kind of steady eddy type of markets middle america meat and potatoes what all those different uh where there's not a lot of of change um now you look at markets in you know coastal california and then there's have been some markets in the middle America that I would say have, have become more volatile. Uh, and so that it becomes more of a matter of understanding the market you're investing in right. and how, how sensitive that is. And I, I do, I would argue there's a few markets, um, that used to be those middle America steady eddy markets that have, because of population shifts and things like that have become the more dynamic, potentially volatile markets that you, you need to be a little bit more careful around. So, um, I, that's, I, th I think the big answer is no, but it's somewhat based on the local market you're into. I agree. You know, when we, we, when we talk about trends, it's hard not to include migration trends as part of that overall discussion. Uh, I don't know how closely you follow that or, or if that's even part of what you look at, but if you do follow migration trends, what migration related changes or shifts have you seen over the last year or two that we as investors should be aware of? Yeah, one of my favorite reports, and I wish it came out more often, is the the census net migration report. It comes out once a year, came out a couple months ago, looking at where people are moving to and from. And what we see is net migration losses in, in California is one big state that's losing people to domestic and even, well, it would leave out international migration. Uh, but the biggest, uh, and, and I have another heat map on this too, um, the biggest gainer is Florida, which may not be surprising in terms of population. California lost 38,000 more people than it gained in 2018. And this is not including births and deaths, by the way, it's migration. Meanwhile, Florida gained 380 8,000 more people than it lost. Wow. Um, so those are the, the biggest loser and the biggest, well, actually that California is not the biggest loser. Um, New York is the net migration loss of 109,000. And then actually Illinois net migration loss of 77,000. And then you have California with 38,000 loss. Biggest winner was Florida, that 308,000 gain, followed by Texas, 187,000 gain. Um, and that looks like Arizona, 97,000 gains. So people are moving to the Sunbelt states that, that have low taxes. Um, it's the storyline I think a lot of people know, but the, the migration data really bears it out. And um, they're moving away from some of the higher tax states. You know, California is, you know, you can't, some people have, have talked about the weather 
certainly with New York and Illinois, weather may be a factor. California, I don't think you can argue that weather is a factor um, moving from California to, to Texas or Florida. Those are those are the states, uh, not states, those are the counties that are often in the news. You know, when you talk about high taxes and uh, migration losses, like L.A. County, Orange County, where you and I live, the San Francisco Bay Area, New York, uh, Washington, D.C. I mean, these are high-priced areas, and they certainly affect and impact the local market. And and these are things that I believe investors really should be aware of. I guess the thing I'd like to ask you is, what, what is the biggest impact or effect that these negative net migration trends have on these local markets? I think uh, it it's uh, decreasing demand for housing, you know, if went through the perspective of a real estate investor. And, you know, there are other, there are other implications as well, but uh, simply fewer people who are interested in buying a home and fewer people who are interested in renting homes in those markets. Now, I think California is in pretty good shape overall uh, because, you know, 38,000 is not a huge loss, uh, but it's, it's trending in that direction. And so I think that's in addition to the fact that housing is so high priced in California, that's another risk factor is the at least weakening of, of, of housing demand. And on the flip side, you know, if you can find those markets where population is increasing and there are good deals still available, um, that that's a sweet spot. Yeah, I agree. So clearly market trends such as demographics and foreclosure activity and migration are all important things that shape the future of all the local real estate markets all around the country. And therefore, these things help shape the decisions we make as real estate investors. So just two quick questions as we wrap up here. Um, what do you see in terms of the housing markets around the U.S. doing, or how are, do you see them evolving over the course of this year and probably into 2020? Uh, if you have an opinion on it. Good question. Yeah, the, the uh, evolution of the housing market, I think, uh, you know, we're seeing generally a slow, we have, especially in 2018, it was, a, a, the storyline was a, a market that was slowing down and showing signs of weakness, basically. And I, um, it's picking back up. I think the lower mortgage rates are helping to give a little bit of a shot in the arm to the 2019. So we'll see a better housing market in 2019 than 2018, but not, um, It'll be more of a, a muted type of 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 bounce back and and almost you know almost boring in a way. I think you know sometimes of course like with the media they want to ha the story needs to be <laughs> dramatic. It's the last you know the last few years have not been super dramatic, but I think um, and I think that will continue in 2019. But um, you know we're going to see in most areas uh, single continued single digit appreciation. So that's one thing I think to be aware of from an investor perspective. And um, I yeah, think that's so good that, news. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think it's it's good for the sustainability of the housing market uh, to use a, I guess a buzzword that we're that we're kind of in that boring spot. Yeah, I, I, I've actually said for years, boring is good because boring is predictable and sustainable. And when you talk about an asset class such as real estate, you, you, want, that, you want that stability and predictability because 
you want the income from the cash flow and you want it to appreciate at or slightly above the real rate of inflation. And if housing is doing that for you as a real estate investor, I think that's a win. Um, it's when you have these ab abnormal real estate market cycles where you're watching property values decrease faster than historic means or increase faster than historic means that you really need to be on your toes and start to pay attention to what's actually going on. So my argument is that boring is good when it comes to real estate. Yep, absolutely. Boring is, is good. Um, we are, I mean, I, we are seeing some markets start to correct already. Uh, I didn't, I've mentioned this in passing, I'll mention it again. So it, uh, it is local, 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 but, um, the markets that are correcting right now. And I think I, I, I want to mention this cause I don't think it gets enough attention, but, um, you know, we already see for two consecutive quarters, San Jose, the, the most expensive market in the country yeah. has seen decreasing home prices now um san francisco just went negative as well so this is not just slowing price appreciation but a minus sign in front of that percentage point uh, and so that's i think uh, something to be aware of we don't see that much during in the um i'm just looking here the uh the midwest at all um is, there's a couple of markets in Connecticut that are negative. <laughs> um, most of the market, it's it's more of the boring story of prices are probably not going to go negative, but uh, there's, you know, you're going to see maybe one to five percent appreciation. Um, I think it would be my opinion, and that's that's kind of the pattern we've been seeing in a lot of markets over the last year or so. Cool. So let's wrap it up. What advice would you give real estate investors, if any, in order to stay on top of these changing trends? You see it every day. You know, it's it's right there in front of you. But for a, for us layman, um, average Joe, real estate investors, what you know, what can we do to stay on top of these changes? Well, I mean, a great where I'm putting all my stuff. I'm publishing uh, articles and heat maps that allow you to go down to the local level on the auction.com newsroom auction.com in the news or forward slash in the news is a great resource i'll plug that we're that i know about um and uh, you know there's uh just you know set up your google news to to be notifying you of, of real estate related stories is a great great uh um a great way to kind of stay on top of of trends in the marketplace um and yeah so i think you know we uh those are a couple of sources uh, I, I know about. And um, I think, uh, yes, I mean, and certainly on auction.com as well, you can find uh, actual properties for, for sale. And sometimes just, you know, monitoring those, even if whether or not you're even bidding or buying, you can start to understand just like you might go on Redfin or Zillow to look at the retail market you know, you go to an auction.com and seeing what what type of activity you're seeing uh, in terms of properties available and what kind of bidding, uh, opening bids are, are on those properties. So people can follow you on auction.com. So why don't you tell our listeners how they can find you, where they can find you and get more information. You know, auction.com is obviously the big one. Yeah, auction.com forward slash in the news is where I'm posting all my stuff. I'm on LinkedIn under Darren Bloomquist. Uh, it's a great, I post a lot of stuff in, there as well that uh, you can track and, and keep, and I try to, I try to keep it simple so you can 
a quick visual that you can understand. Then if you want to drill in deeper, you can go in there and, and explore it. Awesome. Darren, this has been great. Um, I'm glad I finally got you on the show. So this is uh, uh, greatly appreciated. So thank you for your time. Thank you so much, Marco. Thanks again. Are you having a hard time finding great investment properties? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best deals across the U.S. Our simple, proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly cash flow. Get your free copy of the ultimate guide to passive real estate investing at noradarealestate.com slash guide. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com slash guide. Nothing on this show should be considered specific personal or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate legal, tax, real estate, or business professional for individualized advice. For distribution or publication rights and media interviews, please contact the host.